Well, it's good to be here with you all this morning again. I love to be with, with my friends, my brothers, sisters. It's good to be here. Um, I'd like to share a message today. Is this thing echoing? Is it okay? Okay. Uh, I'd like to share a message today uh, about the invitation of Christ to the church. Uh, I, I've been I've been fascinated by that um, the last couple of months, thinking about it, reading about it, and the story of Jesus never gets old to me. I love to read about his compassion, just who he was when he was here. And what, what fascinates me over and over again is the fact that, um, like it says in Hebrews chapter 1, that he was the exact, when he was here and lived his earthly life, he was the exact image of God. And so what that means to me is uh, the things that were important to him are important to God. And the things that were, the things that he valued, God values, even today yet. And the way he interacted with humanity when he was here, and the people that, that uh, got his attention, the people that, uh, that he was interested in, that doesn't mean he wasn't interested in everybody, in, in all people, but he was. But there was a certain, there were a certain, you might say a, uh, a certain group of people, it seems to me as I read the Bible, that really got his attention. And, and that's fascinating to me. And so I would like to, I would like to start reading, excuse me, um, I have quite a bit of, Quite, quite a bit of uh, Bible to read today, so bear with me. I want to read in Numbers chapter 29, but I want to go there from, from John chapter 7 where Jesus said, where it says that John said, recorded this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. <clears throat> it says, whoever believes in me, in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in, in him were to receive. For as yet he had, be, he had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so... What he was referring to, I think, was uh, in Numbers chapter in Numbers chapter 29, we have the story. This is one of the book of Moses, and it was a law that that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel. And so, just put yourself in the, in this setting where they were having a, a a feast for seven days, and then on the eighth day was the great feast. And so we're going to read about we're going to be, we're going to read about the feasts that they had in those days. 
It's in cha- uh, chapter 29 of Numbers, verse starting reading in verse 12. It says, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You shall offer, burnt, you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, thirteen bulls from the herd, two rams, fourteen male lambs, a year old, they shall be without blemish, and their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah. For each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the second day, Twelve bulls from the herd, two rams, fourteen male lambs, a year old without blemish, with the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, in the, prescri- in the prescribed quantities, also one male goat for a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the third day, eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, a year old without blemish, with the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls and for, ram, for the rams and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. On the fourth day, ten bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs a year old without blemish with the, with the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls and the ram, for the rams and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, its drink offering. On the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish, with the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also, one male goat for a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. On the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish, with the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls and for the rams and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also, one male goat for a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offerings. On the seventh day, seven bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish, with the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls and for the rams and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly, you shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish, and the grain offering and the drink offerings for the bull, for the ram and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering and its great offering and its grain offering and its Drink drink offering. These you shall offer to the Lord at your appointed feasts in addition to your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, for your burnt offerings, and for your grain offerings, 
and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. So Moses told the people of Israel everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So are you bored now with the story? <laughs> but this was, this was the feast that they were having. And at the end of that feast, uh, it says the last day of the great, the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And so my question is, why would he expect people to be thirsty or, or hungry or why would he expect them to want more than what they were already experiencing for seven days? I counted just the bulls and I think there was like 71 bulls that they killed for that week. Plus all the other animals and offerings that they offered up. And so why would, the, why, would, why would Jesus think that there was still a lack in their life? Why wouldn't they just go home happy, at peace? They did everything just right. <laughs> I think it's because the same reason that you and I can never be satisfied without Jesus in our life. Even if we don't live up to these. Now, these people knew what this meant. They were the Israelites, and they knew, they knew that. They knew the laws of God. But I'm amazed at that. I'm amazed that Jesus would come along and offer what he did. It's an invitation to the church. And so I want you to, I want you to accept it this way. You know, it's, I'm amazed at, the, at God's creation, the way God created us. He created us with a hunger or with a thirst. You know, if we work in a dry, hot day, we get thirsty pretty quick. If we work for eight hours without eating, we get hungry. So it's an indication that we need something. It's the same way in the spiritual sense. You know, if you work and you work and you work, you try to please the Creator God by your working and your doing, you know, you end up hungry. You end up spiritually hungry and spiritually destitute because there's nothing without Jesus, without, the, uh, without that Holy Spirit in your life, in your own heart, and at peace with God, there's nothing that satisfies that hunger. Do you believe that? I believe it. I mean, I really do, and yet I still find myself sometime in that frame of mind. <clears throat> And so that's what I want to share with you. I want to look at three invitations that, that Jesus gave to the church. And I think there's a couple that I was looking at that Paul invited us to. And I'm convinced that if we, I'm convinced that if we grab a hold of that, if we, if we can receive that by faith, irregardless of where you're from, Irregardless of, of where you find your li- you, yourself in life, if you, can, if you can come to the place where you just agree with God, He will fill that void and, 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 and actually He will uh, satisfy the hunger. In fact, it says here, uh, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. And they had a lot of questions because he said some of those things. And I'm not going to go into all that. But I just wanted to read this. I wanted to read the account of the setting that they were in. Uh, so we would get an understanding. So that we would get a picture of. 
of, uh, of what, it was, what it could have been like. And I mean, we probably can't relate to all that. Although uh, I grew up in a very religious setting, and so there was a lot of requirements on our life. Uh, we were never, yes, we were told, if we are faithful to those requirements, we'll, we'll have a good hope at the end of life. But my own testimony is it was never satisfied. Never brought me to that point. Of course, I didn't stay there either to do, to do that. But Jesus showed me a, a, a better way. So when I started reading some of the, some of the invitations of Jesus, uh, I got hungry or thirsty. <clears throat> so I want to look at, I want to look at uh, three of Jesus' invitations. The one is in Matthew chapter 11. And I think this, this refers to exactly what I was talking about. It says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Maybe that's why Jesus got up and, and gave that invitation if there's anybody thirsty at the, at the end of eight days of feasts and a lot of activity and a lot of keeping of the, of the sacrifices, maybe that's why he said that, if anyone thirsts. It's, this is saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden or weighed down. And, you know, we, we already talked a little bit about that this morning. Some of, some of you were talking about that uh, if there's anybody here that's, that's just has a heavy heart, the invitation is to come to Jesus. It's not, to come, it's not even to come to church. It's not to come to, to the pastor, but it's to come to Jesus. Now, the pastor may be able to point you to Jesus. The church may be able to help you with that. But it is to come to Jesus. And unless we come to Jesus, we'll always be thirsty. We'll experience that hunger. Bible talks about being satisfied, my soul being satisfied in him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And that's exactly, that's exactly how I find walking with Jesus is. 
He's a gentle, heavenly Father. And He's lowly. And He invites us to, con- to condescend to men of low estate. <laughs> but He says, if you, do, if you learn of Me, and the other thing is, you know, it's something that we're going to learn as we walk with Christ. Again, I, I, I've said it over and over again, over at, uh, you know, to walk, to be, a, to be Christ-like or to, to be more like Him. It, it's a walk that we do. It's not, you're not going to wake up one day and, and even if you're born again, even if you get a, a dramatic born-again experience, that's a good start. But the Christian life is a walk. And as you walk with Christ, you're going to learn that to be yoked with Christ is to be yoked with a gentle and a lowly Holy Spirit that will guide you into all truth. And you will also learn that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And I was looking at some of those words and it simply says, it's gracious and it's kind. That's, that's, that's what it says. His yoke is gracious and his yoke is kind. To be yoked with Christ is gracious and kind. And you're going to find rest for your souls. Just because you're with Jesus. Just because you're with the Christ. You're with the Messiah. The promised one. The one that satisfies. That is what, that is what brings, brings everything that I'm talking about here. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 4, I want to point out a few things in Hebrews. Hebrews is a, is a uh, interesting book to me too because I think it was written to the, to, to the children of Israel or the Hebrews. Let me go to chapter 7 first. It says in in verse 11, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at, at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord descended from Judah and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> 
For, in, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but, the, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So I'd like to look at I'd like to look at the uh, and Mark chapter one is another invitation that Jesus gave. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Jesus was passing along. It says, in the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Just that little invitation. I was fascinated by it. And I've I've seen this. Um, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And me, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee, the brother, and and John his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. But the disciples, as they followed, as they followed along with Jesus, they walked with him, they couldn't help but become fishers of men. And it's the same way for you and I. You know, uh, if we, we follow Jesus, we're going to become fishers of of men. In other words, we're going to be looking for those, uh, you know, like a, I'm not a fisherman, but I know what, I know that fishermen like to always find new spots. They like to find the hot spots. They like to find where the fish are eating. And, and they also, uh, you know, they learn ways, they, they, they figure out ways to catch fish. They figure out ways to, uh, to draw them in. Um, and Jesus said here, I will make you become fishers of men. And so I'm saying that as we walk with Christ on a daily basis, we're going to be looking for those people that are hungry. I think there's going to be a sensitivity to, to them. There's going to be a there's going to be awareness, and we're going, to be, we're going to be able to reach out to them. We're going to have them on our heart. We're going to pray for them. We're going to speak to them. We're going to talk to them. We're going to introduce them to Jesus. We're going to talk to, to, to them about the grace, the goodness of God. And maybe we'll talk to them about the fallacy of sin or walking after our own life or just 
being so consumed with ourself. But we're going to introduce them to Christ. We're going to become fishers of men as we walk with Jesus. And so I want to, I want to, I want to just remind you. I know we know all these things. I just want to remind you of that, of, of those kind of, of, the, of this invitation. To become fishers of men unless we get so um, taken up or engrossed into the present happenings of our day, uh, whether it's on a political basis or whatever it is, uh, or we're so involved in setting up our kingdom that we forget about those that are beside us that maybe don't know the way, maybe are looking for answers, and we, we, we pass them. We don't even recognize and we don't know them we, do, we don't see them because we're so uh, distracted by other things and so I just want to remind you of this Jesus said that he, he, was, he was speaking directly to the, uh, to the disciples here but I think the message is for all of us he's going to I will make you become fishers of men And then another invitation is in John 15. I'm going to read, start reading in verse 1. John 15 verse 1 says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. You see that? I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the the vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You know, we're... We're, we're just pretty dependent on Christ, on the Holy Spirit. We're just, we just, there's just not much we can get, get accomplished without God in a real spiritual sense. And so the best thing to do is just surrender our life to Him. <laughs> and just walk with Him. Here it says we should abide with Him. And He's not only, He's inviting us to do that. And it's kind of like an invitation, but it's also just to let you know that you're not going to get anything accomplished if you don't. You just, you can't do it. But if you do, you're going to bring a lot of fruit. Much much fruit. It says it bears much fruit. And the other thing, he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. He cuts some parts off. 
And sometimes when those parts get cut off, you know, it, it hurts. There's pain. We experience some pain. That doesn't mean God's mad at you. He says, he says you're already clean. But he prunes you. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that, I'm going to read it so I don't misquote it. And I'll read, I'll read a little bit of the context so we kind of get the, the picture of, the, of what he was saying. In Hebrews chapter 12, um, therefore, and this is right after chapter 11, gives a whole list of, of people that believed God, and because of that they were witnessed, they, they, they were witnesses, they were, uh, and, and it says here that therefore since we are surrounded, in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Again, it's, he's, he's the founder and then he's the perfecter. That's the thought of walking on with Christ by faith. Because if you perfect something, it's the founder and the perfecter. It just sounds to me like somebody that, that's walking with Christ or so, somebody that's it's progressing. That doesn't mean you're not clean. doesn't mean you're not right with God. It just means He wants more out of you. He wants to take you on. He wants to make you more fruitful. It, see, it's for His glory. It's not necessarily for you. It's for Him. So let us run with patience. Let us run with endurance and, and the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so he's holding up, the Hebrew writer is holding up Jesus as, as our example. Consider him who, who, endured, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary when you get pruned. You don't, you know, so you don't get weary. And what that means is you get, so you don't get weighted down with cares or... God is mad at me or whatever. Whatever the enemy puts into your mind. So you don't get weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. And here's the exhortation. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord dis. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Every one. Every son who he receives, he chastises. No, no one, there's no one exempt from that. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. here's, Here's a little side note. So you fathers, if you're a true father to your son, you're going to discipline your son because you love him. (laughs) I see some head sick. It's true, though. It's true. It says, uh, for it... It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I mean, it's just, that's just common knowledge. We, we do that. <laughs> if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hey, this is the word of God. This is, we, cannot, we cannot sidetrack God's way of redeeming humanity. We cannot sidestep it. It's God's way, not my way. I'm just telling you about God's way. So he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And abiding in Christ means abiding, being pruned, being disciplined, and walking with Christ right through all of that. With joy in your hearts. Right? Yeah, it does. It means that. (laughs) That's the message of the gospel. I think it's good. The reason I say that is because it's God that keeps us. We don't keep ourselves. We don't, we don't secure our own salvation. It's God that secures our salvation. We walk with him and he keeps us secure. Now, I want to read a couple. Okay. Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have that kind of a high priest, Jesus, since we have, in Hebrews 4, 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And so now it's, we're coming back to um, our faith in God. Not only our faith in God, but also our faith in the way he has set up his, 
his plan for us in everything that he's done, everything that he has. For we do not have a high priest, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And so I just want to say, you know, sometimes we'd like to have a testimony that's that's bright and vibrant. You know, we want to have a testimony that's victorious and all those things. Let's just lay that aside. It's nice to, I mean, I, I understand that. But let's just lay that aside and let's just have a testimony of what's, what is really in our heart. Because Jesus, it says we, don't have, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because of that, let us therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And here's the invitation. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> There's two things I want to look at, uh, just point out briefly. It is to find grace to help, and it's in a time of need. So if you never have a need, you probably won't find the grace to help you. But if you find yourself to have a need, and I'm not, just, I'm not saying you just fabricate or come up with a need, but if you find yourself to have a need, then come to the throne of grace. He said he will help you. And he really wants you to believe him and act upon it. He really wants you to do that. And if you do, you really will find him to be faithful. You really will find Jesus to have his grace in your life, to find him faithful if you do that. It does take humility sometimes. You know, it just admit, yeah, I do have a need here. <clears throat> but he wants you to, that's the invitation. He wants you to do that. <clears throat> And here's another one in James chapter 1. This was an invitation. This was an invitation to James. And this is not just a specific invitation to one person or even one church. This is an invitation to the 12 tribes in verse 1, James chapter 1. In, this, in the dispersion. He said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Very simple. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You don't have to be, you can be 10 years old or you can be even younger than that. You can ask God for wisdom. <clears throat> the Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <clears throat> but he says here, if we lack wisdom, let's ask God. Who will give it? Generously, who gives generously to all without reproach. Let me read that again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all 
without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded stand. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. If we lack wisdom, let's ask God who gives generously. And you know, we don't, I don't think we necessarily have to define wisdom, but sometimes it's good to, you know, define some of these words that we use so, so many times or so often, and we just kind of brush over them. But I was looking at, uh, I was looking at what Proverbs says about wisdom. In Proverbs 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 20 and 22, it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O you simple ones, will you love being simple? Or how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn up my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. So I was thinking about wisdom. How does wisdom cry aloud in the street, in the markets? You know, you can gain wisdom simply by sitting somewhere and watching humanity, watching people. You can gain some wisdom if you open your heart. If you open your, yeah, open your heart. You can gain some wisdom simply by watching them or by talking to them. And I think that's how wisdom cries aloud. But I think wisdom is, in in very simple terms, is defined as simply uh, if you know to do something that's good, you do it. If you know God is speaking to you, you follow Him. If you know... It's good to trust God, you trust Him. In other words, you act on what you know to be good and right. Um, And so I've given you some... I've I've shared with you some promises that are in the Word of God. And my challenge is, this is to me, it's not just to you all, it's to me also. Um, It's to simply take the Word of God Take Jesus at what he says, what he's promised, and put, and put our life to it. Put our weight on it. Put our, you know, step, step out and step into his promises. And see if he won't be faithful to us. We don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be afraid of that. In fact, God invites us to that. 